Hey there, I hope you're well. I'm Jeffrey Rickman. I'm a global Methodist elder, and I comment on all things Methodist. Um, part of my concern, and I've done some segments on this, is Christian use of money and how it is that the Methodist heritage is carried, carried forward financially in the lives of individuals and local churches. There was a big development earlier this week where uh, the financial institution of the global Methodist church has now uh, been pronounced to be shifting halfway through the year. And this is a multi-million dollar thing. It impacts a lot of churches and people and finances. So uh, what this is is a commentary on what I know about that so far. And of course, there's still a lot of questions that can't be answered. Um, you can check the show notes for some links that I put for an FAQ generated by the Global Methodist Church and things that we know right now. But this is a developing thing, so uh, it's possible that there's maybe one or two things that I misstate in here. But for the most part, I'm just talking about uh, generalities. This is a picture that I've been watching for some time in my 12 years of ministry, and um, I'd like to think it's helpful in in helping churches, clergy know what's what's going on here, what's not going on here. All cards on the table. Plain spoken is uh, an effort on my part, and I'm I'm right up front. I'm a conservative traditionalist. That's why I left the United Methodist Church, and I'm now Global Methodist clergy. And um, I don't think that has much bearing on financial policy, but it does have to do with uh, my general sympathies towards the United Methodist Church and the institutions it has built, including Westpath. That said, I have warm feelings towards Westpath, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain why. But even so, uh, this, this is going to correspond with an article that I've titled, Why Leaving Westpath is Probably the Right Move. I think that leaving Westpath probably is the right move for the GMC, despite my warm feelings about it. And so this is kind of walking people through why this is probably a good thing for GMC leadership to do. I, I know that especially within global Methodism on the ground floor, there are probably a lot of people that are, you know, people don't like change generally. So why is this a change worth doing, especially whenever Westpath works so hard to make room for the global Methodist church? So that's what follows from here. Um, if you kind of don't like my editorializing or my personality, this does correspond, like I said, with an article that I've written up. And so if you'd rather just read the text, then you can go to the show notes and click on that link and it'll take you. It, it'll show my video up top, but then if you scroll down, it'll be all, all text. So, And if it turns out you like my writing, then go ahead and subscribe there. And then uh, if, if you find my thoughts and reflections worthy here, then go ahead and promote them in what ways you desire. So let's get into it, eh? Um, I'm going to start off by saying that Methodism has been financially good to me all my life. Um, my whole life has been marked by relative material prosperity afforded largely by Westpath. Uh, so I, I grew up as a child of two ordained elders in the United Methodist Church, and then I've been in 11 years of ministry in the United Methodist Church before I disaffiliated earlier this year, or I guess last year. Um, so Wes, Westpath uh, has been a part of my life all my life, and my life, I've been a very privileged person. Um, so far as clergy go in the American landscape right now, United Methodist pastors fare much better than average, and this is in large part due to uh, minimum, income, minimum income standards that have been set by annual conferences around their connections. So if a local church is unwilling or unable to pay the minimum salary, they don't get a pastor from the United Methodist Church. And as the historian John Wigger uh, who wrote a biography on Francis Asbury called American Saints, said, uh, reported, I highly recommend that book, by the way, 
churches in America, Methodist churches in America, have always uh, been reluctant to pay pastors as well as they should, and so the denomination has effectively used what power it has to help local churches support their clergy in the ways that they should on the gra- grassroots level. Another body responsible, though, for the well-being, financial prosperity of United Methodist clergy has been Westpath. It was formerly called the General Board of Pension and Health Benefits back in the day, and that's the official financial entity of the United Methodist denomination. For decades, this body, Westpath, has been entrusted to administer the health insurance and retirement funds of uh, United Methodist clergy. It also cooperates with foundations that are established in each annual conference that will handle and administer the endowment and investment funds of local churches. They also sometimes issue grants or loans. Westpath's versatility as a financial institution allows for conference foundations to offer a wide variety of services to local churches that other churches outside of the United Methodist Church rarely have awareness of or access to. So Westpath isn't the only body that does stuff like this, but it's the main one that I know about. It's the one that I've, I've grown up with. And there are a lot of good things to say about Westpath. There are a few not-so-good things to say, but I, I'm going to offer those not in a, a vindictive spirit, but just a spirit of concern, kind of explaining why we are where we are. <clears throat> Some of the things I've really liked about Westpath's investment model over the years, uh, one is that um, they have, a, 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 from what I can tell, a robust microloaning program in developing parts of the world. So if you've ever studied the impact that microloans have in the developing world, they're a huge factor in helping people get out of uh, poverty and creating local economies. So I've been really proud over the years for my money to be going into making such development possible. Ever since that I, I've been, you know, if you've watched much of my stuff, you know that there was a point early in my ministry where I decided I needed to be equipped for financial ministry. I, it's, it's something I shouldn't run from or be ignorant of. I should, I should uh, know more about it. So J. Cliff Christopher and Horizon Stewardship Ministry, that's been a big part of my walk. I highly recommend them. Um, and ever since I've, I've really been reading about them, I've been a big fan of Westpath. Um, I, I think that in many ways they've done a, a good job. I, I liked for a time they, they were much more responsive. They had an iPhone app. I could check and see the progress of my investments. They have since discontinued that app, and I think that was a mistake, by the way. When I moved to a church um, here in Oklahoma that was not um, – uh, it had an endowment, but it wasn't invested with Westpath. I, I said, hey, we should invest with Westpath. We've since started investment funds for both of our churches with Westpath through the Oklahoma United Methodist Foundation. Um, my wife and I, we like Westpath so much, we even started our own endowment fund and then one for each of our children, all of which come back and benefit the local churches. So the Rickmans have been bigger supporters of Westpath than most people. Um, I, I just think that... It, they're a very impressive institution that offers a lot of muscle to local churches that is pretty incredible. But even so, I have been increasingly frustrated with them in recent years uh, for a few reasons. One is they're not very transparent or accessible. While both of my churches have significant amounts of money invested with Westpath through our foundation here in Oklahoma, the reporting of those funds is limited to monthly reports that are not interactive at all, and they lack in the amount of information that they provide. 
So unlike other investment firms, there is no way to log into a website on which you can see the particulars of your portfolio investment or day-to-day -day changes in their accounts. They, they do have a website, and you can log on and get some basic information about your investments, but it's not nearly as uh, responsive or detailed as normal financial institutions that, that I deal with. And so, like, I'm personally invested in three private investment firms with my own money. I just like to know how they, they work, um, and they are all much more transparent and engaging and responsive than Westpath. Um, we, we've never heard a good reason and we've asked as to why Westpath's reporting needs to be so opaque and limited. Um, moreover, when a church's endowment or investment funds are supposedly invested in the exact same fund, then it's strange whenever they report different rates of success or loss of, of gains or loss. So, uh, here at the Noada Church that I serve, we've had an endowment fund and an investment fund, and we've been told they're invested in the exact same funds, and yet one might have a profit of 0.2% um, one month and another a profit of 0.1. You know, that's just uh, an example. Why would that? Why would that be? You know, so it, it's probably that there are different management fees and and other things going on behind, but. Whenever you take all these things together, plus the lack of transparency, it just kind of engenders a kind of um, anxiety about this relationship, especially as they are surely affected by the division in the denominations. So, you know, before we get to that, uh, I want to acknowledge that Westpath's investment record is very impressive in a number of ways uh, because it's been constrained from the beginning by the ethical standards established by the General Conference. So while uh, they are expected to generate income, Westpath is also restricted from investing in such ways that goes against the social principles of the United Methodist Church. And so that means that they're not at all invested in tobacco or firearms, among uh, some other sectors of the economy tied to vice. This limits their investment options, obviously, but they've still been able to generate very competitive returns with private investment firms. And this investment strategy also fits neatly into a phenomenon called ESG. So I, I'm starting off with a positive, but I do not like ESG. If you don't know what ESG is, um, it stands for Environmental Social Governance. It's an investment strategy utilized by large investment firms like BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard to affect social change around the world outside of the democratic process. So um, these policies – and practices almost universally conform to socially progressive agendas and goals. Uh, so many people, including myself, have grown increasingly concerned that Westpath is largely adopting an ESG strategy that's matched not so much with the United Methodist Church's social principles, which for the time being are fairly balanced, uh, but more and more with a worldly leftist ESG ethos. So even though they are invested in fossil fuels, for example, they use their influence, their spot at the table, by my dollars. You know, They use that influence they get from my dollars to actually insist on policies that all but require these businesses to shift into renewables over time. And I don't want to start an argument about that right now, but I have very significant concerns about these shifts being made top-down from policy rather than when dictated by uh, the market, when you look at where renewables come from, um, the materials to make these things, uh, I, I see some real problems. Anyway, I don't want to argue about it. 
So many, including the chief investment officer of Westpath, his name is Dave Zellner, uh, they believe that my concerns, concerns about ESG are overblown and kind of paranoid, uh, an outgrowth of a culture war that's just made people go wonky. So I, I privately corresponded with Zellner in 2022. He was very responsive, very respectful. Uh, but following our conversation, he he published an article advocating for a continued ESG investment strategy. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. You'll also find it in the hyperlink if you read the, the article. Um, so I didn't anticipate that I would write him and he would change that he would change his mind based on what I said. But I did kind of hope that he would be able to persuade me that they had a different kind of investment strategy or a different model for ESG investing than these larger firms. He didn't persuade me of anything. I actually got more concerned over time. Um, it seems to me that Westpath, which is chaired by Bishop Robert Schnazy, he's a, a liberal U.S. bishop down in Rio, Texas. I've recently reported on him and how tone deaf he seems to be to me. Um, Westpath is content to do what the United Methodist Church has done for decades. They take the hard-earned money of religious conservatives like me, and they use it against us socially and culturally. So ESG uh, scoring and investment is a hugely influential thing that, you know, they might say, hey, we're happy to take your money, but they're going to use it against me socially. It seems that way to me. Um, so at this year's general conference, as, as it approaches, it's likely that the BDS movement will prevail among the body. If you don't know what BDS is, it's boycott, divest, sanction. It's an approach to uh, um, financially hurt the state of Israel. And if they succeed, it's likely that Westpath dollars will be completely removed from any business with ties to Israel. So that's just one more thing. You know, you got ESG, you got BDS, you got all these movements that are ascendant in the United Methodist Church that is running Westpath. They're run, they're, their main board is run by uh, uh, denominational leadership that I have a problem with. What about locally? I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but in the meantime, when we're looking at these social issues, I can't forget how fraught it was to try and decouple the United Methodist Church's General Board of Church and Society from abortion advocacy, and how they simply refused to begin advocating for the persecuted church, even after the General Conference explicitly said, we want you to do this. So while Westpath is not the General Board of Church and Society, they are part of the some, same unresponsive behemoth. If they had publicly advertised new investment portfolios that stood outside of these activist investment strategies, I think things would be very different right now for them. But there's this is part of the reason, this social ESG stuff. It's a big reason as to why this shift has taken place. You can be sure of this. So as it became increasingly apparent to all that a split was coming within the United Methodist Church, Westpath leadership was wise to position itself to serve not just the United Methodist Church, but uh, Global Methodist Church, any Wesleyan bodies from, from there on out. When the split finally came, there was a seamless transition to Westpath uh, retirement and health insurance for the nascent Global Methodist Church. They have also continued to work with churches and clergy that have stayed independent for the time being. I honestly thought that they were doing such a good job at this that they would manage to hold on to everybody. And I was flat out, I was very wrong in this. You know, I was very surprised when this transition uh, was announced to be coming. Many Westpath foundations in various annual conferences have attempted to show their eagerness to work with 
the Global Methodist Church by welcoming Global Methodist leadership onto board positions, I'm not sure how well that's gone. In, the, in Oklahoma, for instance, such an effort was stymied by the bishop here, Bishop Nunn, who behind the scenes started making calls and moving pieces and managed to get all United Methodist loyalists on the board of the foundation here. I'm unsure how many other conferences have dealt with a similar phenomenon. But I am aware of at least two other annual conferences in which foundations fought very hold to, hard to hold on to endowment funds of disaffiliating churches, even refusing to, to even process a request to, to move the funds and filing suit against the local church in order to retain those funds. So I don't know how common that is. These, the reason it's hard to speak accurately about these things is whenever these things happen, they're done behind closed doors, they're secretive. And even whenever there are aggrieved parties that could talk about it, they are told by lawyers who want to keep things in their control that, hey, you need to keep quiet about this. If you start talking about it, it could affect uh, how things go legally. So there are all kinds of things going on that, that I and very few people have any idea of uh, because people are, uh, are tight-lipped about it. But regardless of how many of these things are going on, just these few – they make a, an impression. Instances like these coupled with high insurance premiums um, and, and just the way that Westpath has gone, they put a bad taste in the mouths of those who are watching. So whether or not Westpath leadership had any direct influence in how things went with these individual foundations, whether or not they could make significant decisions impacting health insurance rates, unfortunately just doesn't matter much. In order to keep and earn and keep the, the trust of Global Methodist leadership, Westpath needed to vocally and strongly make space for a more evangelical and conservative presence in their organization. Because of the ESG stuff, because of stuff happening at foundations, it was just clear they didn't do that, and now that neglect has cost them. So on Monday, January 8th, earlier the week that this was filmed, the Global Methodist leadership announced that they would be officially divesting from Westpath and partnering instead with Guidestone Funds. Guidestone is a very similar institution to Westpath. They fulfill virtually all of the same functions as Westpath, but it is decidedly much more conservative in nature. So rather than being concerned, say, with global warming and weapons, they signal more concern about abortion and gender reassignment, among other culture war issues that are more clearly intersecting with biblical interests. So as a conservative believers, it seems to me that I, with Guidestone, don't have to be concerned about the leadership of that institution using my assets against me in the cultural setting that we're in. I don't have to read every press, uh, press release from this financial institution to try and read between the lines to see if, every, if my side is, is going to be affronted by something. It would seem that I, I can trust Guidestone as a sort of analog to, I don't know how many of you know what Strive Asset Management is. It's the investment firm that was started by Vivek Ramaswamy, which I don't care how you feel about him as a candidate. It's a good asset management company um, because they also stand outside of newer ESG models of investing. They choose to actually invest in the interests of their clients. But whereas Strive's uh, management is libertarian, and uh, kind of unscrupulous. Guidestones is decidedly conservative, evangelical, and, and Christian in its disposition. So it's not that I and others want the Global Methodist Church to have a libertarian, unscrupulous strategy, 
Rather, we want a similar investment strategy to Westpath, but we want it oriented by conservative values, not liberal ones. So I've not been able to do a lot of comparative work uh, between comparing the portfolios of Westpath and Guidestone, but I've been assured by those who have done that work that uh, Guidestone's performance is commensurate with that of Westpath. And if that's the case, that's great because Westpath, Westpath has done really well. Uh, they've generated really good returns for me and my churches and, and my family. I've also been assured that they will offer, Guidestone will, offer management for personal and local church endowment funds, as well as several other kinds of investments. So um, from a recently published uh, FAQ that got put out by the Global Methodists, it would seem that annuities can't be transferred. I think I've understood that correctly. I don't think the defined benefit portion of one's pension is ever going to be transferred over, but I'm not sure if that has any significant financial implications. So I'm looking forward to learning more about all this stuff in the near future. Guidestone is currently creating a lot of protocols that are necessary to uh, circulate so that global Methodist churches can transfer all their assets if they need. Many of the particulars will be made known soon. Um, I've put in a request to Jeff Pospisil, the CFO of, of the Global Methodist Church, see if he can answer some questions. He was a big part of making this decision, and um, so we're, we're hopefully scheduling that for next week. But in the meantime, I find myself being hopeful that Guidestone can be the institution that I wanted Westpath to be. So I, I hope that they also partic participate in a microloan uh, uh arrangement in developing parts of the world. And I, I hope that this decision that gets made doesn't lead to more splintering and division, but it actually is something that leads to more health and solidarity for not just global Methodists, but I hope that this is something that galvanizes a lot of evangelical Christians in their churches in the near future. So um, what, in particular with the global Methodist church, I think this can be the start of something new. So I've noted in a previous episode on my channel that um, there's some language in the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline, that's our shared covenant document, that indicates the intention to establish permanent funds established in the Global Methodist Church aimed at the education of clergy. So here's that language. That's paragraph 411. The paragraph is titled Ministerial Training Fund. Quote, a fund shall be maintained for ministerial education by the Transitional Leadership Council. Once certified, a candidate may request a loan to assist with educational requirements. A service commitment of five years' duration after ordination is required of any clergy who receives such assistance, with 20% of the loan amount forgiven for each year of the ministry within the Global Methodist Church. So this language, that's the end quote right there, this language indica indicates to me that there is a real possibility in the GMC that we might become the sort of financial institution that the UMC should have been, but it'll be inverted. So the United Methodist Church, they had endowed funds, but they were for the benefit of the superstructure, the, the, the general boards and agencies, for the annual conferences. They were spent and uh, not reported on publicly. GCFA knows what they have, but getting any financial information on, on those endowment funds is difficult. But the GMC could establish publicly reported uh, endowment funds for the benefit not of the higher-up agencies, but for the local churches and their clergy, which would be awesome. So I'm aware that many in the Global Methodist Church want to keep the budget, the, the shared budget, so thin that there is no possibility of any accumulation of excess funds 
So many are just so concerned and damaged by the rampant abuses in the United Methodist Church of, of hoarding and financial obfuscation. They don't want anything like that. They don't want to even allow for that possibility. So I'm of the mind that the answer is not to enforce a beggarly impoverished organization. I don't want a GMC that's constantly hurting for money and unable to do a good job and, and beggarly. I think the answer is to insist that the GMC uses funds transparently, that they report transparently, that they are responsible and answerable to their – responsive is the right word – responsive and answerable to their constituencies, and that the directionality of the funds is is always to the benefit of the grassroots, not the the elites at the top. I, I, I think the directionality needs to be not going up but coming down. So I cannot help but dream of a future in which – the excess funds that are accumulated in years of plenty will be invested in such a way as to offset the costs and liabilities of ministry at the local church level indefinitely. So we're currently trying to figure this. By the way, this is what's happening in the No Water Church I serve. We were responsible with funds and uh, given here. It's invested now in endowment funds that regularly pay out, and they offset the costs of ministry here at the local church level, so that we are able to operate at a much higher standard than other local churches of similar size and income. And there is no reason why that can't operate at scale. So we're, we're, as a denomination, the GMC is trying to figure out what we can offer that would put us in the position to be able to insist on high standards of doctrine and discipline for local churches. And as it stands, it's not clear what benefits denominational affiliation um, could give to local churches that choose to affiliate. There are a lot of churches that are independent just going, why would we affiliate with you. We can hold on to our own money. We can do things our own way. Why would we want to belong to the GMC? Well, if we were to be shrewd in our stewardship of resources entrusted to us, then local churches can find themselves in the future being so thankful that they joined the Global Methodist Church because there's so many payoffs from our connection, and some of those could be financial in nature. In times of leanness, when other churches are really hurting— if the Global Methodist Church was a, a responsible stewardship connection, the way I'm hoping it will be, then we can stay afloat when other churches sink, and we can be proactive in ministry when others are defensive. So, for instance, Jeff Pospisil, he used to be the treasurer for the Dakota's annual conference in the United Methodist Church, and during his tenure there, they were actually able to send money back to local churches, and this just happened to correspond with uh, gains in the annual conference level of new conversions, baptisms, professions of faith, all these things. Um, it seems to me that this financial ethos led by Jeff Pospisil and many other faithful stewards could be a real blessing to the Global Methodist Church. So our new affiliation with Guidestone, it could be the start of some building up a new structure like that with a different ethos, and so I obviously, for one, I'm hoping that it is the start of something new. So that concludes my thoughts on that for right now, and I'm going to have a lot more. Uh, like I said in the article, I hope to be interviewing Jeff Pospisil soon, so go ahead and subscribe to, to me on whatever platform you're, you're watching or listening on so that you stay apprised of that. I, I think the finance—you know, there are a lot of people whose eyes glaze over with money or they think talk about money is only ever concerned with mammon and unfaithful— and um, I, I just respectfully disagree. I think our, you know, Jesus talked about money a lot because our relationship with money matters a lot, and that has to do with the individual. And I also 
think it has to do with the collective. So I'm going to keep talking about it, and uh, I'm just really glad that we have someone like Jeff Pospisil at the top who can be responsive and transparent and uh, eager to share uh, about what God is doing in this body. And so my prayer is that we keep that going in a good direction, but also that the culture of the GMC broadly is affected uh, all over, permeated by this ethos of transparency and flourishing and concern for the local church. So if you want, if you're a person of prayer, I'd invite you to, to say those prayers with me. Um, if you like my presentation, how my brain works, how I'm breaking these things down, if you're not subscribed, I want you to go ahead and subscribe. If you think I'm really helpful for the equation, uh, the Global Methodist Church and larger Methodism more broadly, you might consider uh, financially supporting this ministry. I'm hoping to grow it over time. Uh, so you can go to plainspoken.locals.com, and that's where you can become a supporter, and I'm supposed to offer special perks. I haven't been good about that lately, but I will. Um, and then, you know, make sure to, to send this to anyone else, uh, especially retirees that are in the GMC that are concerned about this stuff, um, people that just are interested in, in the finances of these denominational things. Go ahead and, and promote this. If you have any thoughts, things that I don't know that you do, share them in the comments, any analysis that I, I really should have done but forgot put it in there. I read at this point still all the comments that people write, so I appreciate all that, and I appreciate your support and prayers, and I'll be seeing you again soon. Take care.